Yeah, the last thing I'll say is I, I, I want to come for every single person who left a comment like, oh, Blue, it's winter. No, winter starts on December 21st. That's what the fucking solstice is for. <laughs> it's December. Sure, it's cold outside. It is still fall until the solstice, you guys. Okay, plugs. <laughs> uh, people really saying the fall of Rome is too short. Come on, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. I am once again unwisely drinking a large amount of cold brew coffee. Bold strategy. If we were recording this podcast in the evening, then it would be real dicey, but... Oh, don't worry. I have another podcast in the evening that will also be seeing a share of the brew. <laughs> ah, you have chosen violence. Good. And we are joined by a special guest today, Mr. Kent from Doomco Designs. Thank you so much for being on the show with us. Howdy, howdy, all. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, for, for the folks at home uh, who aren't necessarily up to date on you and your connection to the channel, uh, would you like to describe it or should I? <laughs> oh, uh, Red, how about you take this? Well, uh, you are the person people, who is responsible for the, the... People come to the podcast for your guys' dulcet tones. So. Aw, shucks. <laughs> nah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you and uh, Doomco Designs uh, are responsible for the Sun Wukong vinyl toy that we semi-recently announced uh, the initial run of and has uh, since begun re uh, releasing the Monkey of the Month unique colorways, uh, which is extremely cool. Every time there's a physical version of something I've drawn, I'm always like, ah, a little piece of immortality. <laughs> so, um, little, little statuettes that you can can covet and <laughs> worship in lieu of the old gods. Yes, exactly. There you go. Yeah. Find it, put them on every horizontal surface in my living space. Set <laughs> of tiny shrines, you know. Yeah. I, I got my, my box of them uh, within the last week, and I, I've currently oh. actually just moved house. Um, so I'm like, oh, this is great. Where am I going to put them? I don't fucking know. <laughs> so like every display piece I own is like, this stays in the box for at least another week or two until I get some clean horizontal surfaces. And then, and then. Then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Art boy. is the last thing to go up because it is the most fun part of moving anywhere. So yes, <laughs> mm, yes. I completely understand how that goes. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, but it's really interesting because what you mostly do uh, is like VR 3D sculpting, which is an interesting uh, form of 3D modeling that I wasn't familiar with before you reached out to us because in my experience, it's mostly like my limited experience with 3D modeling is like, well, you start with the primitives and then you sort of shape them into the, you know, you add a few things and then it's like a person-shaped thing. <laughs> basically, and I mean, most 3D modeling is kind of basically just that still, <laughs> essentially. Um, VR sculpting is only really a few years old as far as um, having a number of platforms dedicated to this specific purpose out on the common market. Um, you know, about like five to seven years ago at some point, I saw a trailer for this right out of college and was like, boom, this is, this is what I think the future is. You know, I'm not, I am no, I'm by no means any sort of like, further VR advocate because uh, let's be real, how many people are going to want to put on a thing to do anything in this world, right? <laughs> but for really specific use cases, specifically like sculpting and product design and development and stuff, it is, it is perfection. Let me just, let me just put it that way. It is um, truly like the most conceptual version of hand sculpting possible, which mm -hmm. is 
immensely satisfying. The uh, <laughs> just having to work with like pure idealized topology versus any sense of like you know just physical object is uh, is damn satisfying. <laughs> yeah, that is really cool. I was gonna say because like for for like red the kind of art that you do that is firmly in the two D realm like that makes sense to do with a drawing tablet and a screen because it's it's 2D inputs and a 2D visualizer for a 2D thing. Mm -hmm. But for doing sculpting, if you're using 2D inputs and a 2D visualizer of just a simple screen, like that's, you're compressing it down, but actually being able to like physically sculpt the thing in 3D, like from our perspective, that's just a cool thing. But from, you know, your vantage as the artist, that has to be a really like, rewarding thing to be able to do like with the tactile nature of it yeah it's i have so... historically uh I, i've tried to mess around with 3d modelers like blender before and the biggest thing that's always frustrated me is a the incredibly complicated control schemes and b like i can't make i don't know what part <laughs> of it i'm grabbing i hate this <laughs> so endless respect yeah. to everybody who like 3d animates and models for a living but i i definitely think that the vr approach is a it's a very unique but completely like sensical approach like yeah of course that's how you would do it thank you yeah honestly i and admittedly you know this program or i guess the adobe programs that i use have relatively limited specific use scenarios i mean there's only really so much need for like 3d objects in the world of art compared to illustration you know a lot of uh people with like the actual capital will need more illustration than 3D objects just naturally, but yeah, that's whatever. Um, but honestly, just being able to uh, really just work in like a pure 3D schema versus, you know, really only, because with, with most 3D modelers, people typically just work from front, side, back, front, top perspectives, you know, and I get that and that's the way to do things, but it like <laughs> you're you're kind of limiting yourself to the number of perspectives that like you would actually go for. We're kind of getting in the weeds here. But, um, <laughs> well, no, I no, mean like no, uh, more weeds, yeah, more normally, details. <laughs> normally, the way we order things is that we talk about our videos first, and then the guest describes their deal. But we kind of segued so f like fluidly and perfectly into this. Like we may as well just discuss how you know how this works and how you roll because this is a very interesting subject. And I think like when we announced like hey. A vinyl toy is happening. A lot of people were like, wow, that's so cool. But like the, the really cool part is not like, yeah, look, it's a little monkey you can put on your bookshelf. It's like, look at how this thing got made. Yeah, <laughs> look at why I... this took us like two years to figure out. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's real satisfying. And the nice thing about, you know, working in, I guess this is all just digital space in general, but theoretically, you know, if we ever wanted to, we could blow up that digital file and uh, go to like a foam carver to have like a very large scale like person's Yeah, it's great. It's um, so many possibilities and really also the ability to undo and redo actions versus <laughs> sculpting in real life, which is a very one-way street. So <laughs> if it's not a one-to-one -one monkey, it's a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> He's a shapeshifter. He can be any size. <laughs> no, could you imagine like, 
like the actual process of trying to do this in the most convoluted way being like stone sculpting a monkey to use the mold and then silicone molding that and then using that as the vinyl mold. Oh, <laughs> God. Giant headache. And that's, that's how you probably used to, not with stone, but like that's probably how it used to be done is if you wanted to make something, you had to like physically make the damn thing. As I understand it, this is what the uh, lost wax method was, uh, yeah. which was not in fact named because it's a lost method involving wax is because you make a thing out of wax and then the process of creating the mold you'd, you'd melt it out so the, yeah, the wax would be lost. drill a little hole in like the ankle of the statue or like in the heel and it just boop comes right out which yeah. is how they found like Greek statues like why are there like like prints on like the fingers and toes like that can't be sculpted no it's because it's a cast so <laughs> this is a real person and it yeah. just got yeah. real clever with the plaster application average. Yeah, sneaky. Yeah, viral molds are uh, actually it actually involve lost wax casting at a stage really? in the process. Yeah, oh. yeah. So um, you know, it is still used in um, I, I guess just larger scale manufacturing and stuff. But um, I mean. It, <laughs> A lot of people don't really talk about manufacturing, you know. Well, no, this <laughs> was part of what was so get uh, into too much in in the world. But you know, yeah. if, if you know the signs, then it's easy enough to pick up on. Well, that's part of what was so interesting about this, because of course, like when when you reached out, we were like, that would be so cool. And you know, uh, I I drew the little two D turnaround for you, and then you three D modeled it, and it's like, all right, great. Now we're gonna send this off to our factory contact, and then in like six months or so, um, <laughs> there will be molds, and then we can start, yeah, figuring out like the exact weeds of like what colorways we want to do. Because once we have the mold, it's as easy as just mixing up a different batch of colored vinyl. And we, yeah, you know, sorry. like I I've done physical art, but like it's all been, you know painting, charcoals, stuff like that, like all 2D. I did like a little bit of sculpting and I'm very bad at it. So I, I've never really done any sort of like mass production side of things. And our only previous exposure to something like this was pins, which we had almost no hand in the physical production side of That's it. was just like stamping. Yeah. And that was basically just like, just let us know exactly what Pantone color you want the enamel to be and we'll just take it from there. And it's like, okay, great. Uh, so just kind of learning about the actual physicality of how this works was a, a real treat for me. It was it was like a how it's made that we were in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear it. It's Honestly, it's 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 so much behind the curtain these days. I mean, you could arguably point the finger to the outsourcing of American manufacturing that happened like decades before any of us were born. <laughs> but um, gosh, you know, it like no one ever talks about it. No one ever talks about like how our stuff is made, you know, yeah. and just I, I come from mechanical engineering and it's just. I admittedly don't really, you know, need to know any sort of like, like NASA grade stuff, but <laughs> everything immediately around me, as far as like household commercial goods, I could point to how it's made. And I find that knowledge immensely satisfying and very powerful, even though it's um, a little bit not super looked at, you know, in, in the worlds of, in the weird niche world that I inhabit of like <laughs> designer toys and, and statuettes and sculptures and stuff. I mean, it's, you know, the name of the game, but um, I am fully aware, oh, fully well aware of the idea that designer toys and collectibles is a drop in the bucket of the world of fine art, you know? <laughs> the world of art is so giant and uh, designer toys slash pop art collectibles are kind of the youngest, mm, youngest child in a lot of senses yeah. of, uh, of a medium. So it's, um, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. Uh, and honest, I mean, like learning about that was 
was extremely cool. Kind of just riding along for the process was a rare treat for me, too, because, you know, I, I don't have any sort of mechanical engineering background, but I, I am very fascinated with things like those, like, machining channels or, like, a click spring. Uh, Blue got me into oh, that. Yeah. Uh, which is just this guy hand machining, like, God. like the antikythera mechanism from scratch. I, just, yeah. I mean, it's the most satisfying thing in the world. It's like, oh, man, if I had a full tool shop, the things I could do uh, oh, briefly I'm until I accidentally lathed my fingers off. What, how cool it would be. But uh, anyway, uh, but yes, it, it's so cool, so fun. Everybody definitely check out uh, Doom Co. Designs. You've got, obviously, along with the monkeys, there's a bunch of other stuff you sculpted, mostly tardigrades, which is extremely cool, but I, also other things. Yeah. Last little bit before we transition, when when I got the box of, of monkeys uh, in the mail um, a week ago, <laughs> I opened them up with my wife, Cyan. And she's like, what's this? I'm like, oh, that's Tarvis the Tardigrade. She's like, I love him. I'm like, yeah, he's pretty cool. <laughs> ah, delightful. I'm so glad to hear it. I don't want to steal Valor, but I also will say that I had so much fun designing the box the monkey came in. Like, I, oh, wonderful. Been, well, like when, when you sent me the template, I like printed it out and like folded it up into the little box. I was like, oh, right. I haven't done this in so long, but I, <laughs> I remember the golden days of like, you print out the cube and then you fold it into a yeah. cube and now you have a cube. Um, <laughs> design is really really fun you know it's so it's, fun. Um, yeah yeah just it's a, it's a yeah. rare treat for me because i you know normally i i just draw pictures uh but <laughs> that skill can be widely applied anyway uh speaking of things that uh we've done uh what was my video? Do you remember my video? You had idiot plots, which I was did. a fun one. Oh boy. The, the thumbnail because usually you will like use um you know some some characters from the video for well, the thumbnail of the yeah. trope talks. Um, sometimes you draw them, but for the most times, like you know, you pull a character image. And this one was probably one of the most evocative because it's just like Batman v Superman. There it is. <laughs> there it is, baby. I mean, thumbnailing the trope talks is the hardest part because they often cover so much ground. And sometimes the examples that are like most important aren't necessarily things that thumbnail easily. But in this case, I was like, should I just? Should I just go for it? Should I just do the spiciest, clickbaitiest option? Um, and it, it ended up being good because that is kind of the example I kept coming back to in that video. Not because I enjoy particularly dunking on that movie. It's it's not it's not that. Like there's there's stuff that could have been good in there, and mostly it's just like I wish that movie were better. Uh, but I understand why it wasn't. It's just such a really textbook good example of the specific thing I was talking about of like if you have the characters and then you make them behave in a certain way for the plot to happen, the audience notices that it's stupid and weird. And then like it's it's not impossible to make this make sense, but you have to do a lot of work to make it make sense. And then people in the comments occasionally would be like, oh, well, you know, if you do all this work, it does make sense. It's like, yes, good job. But that's not work you were supposed to do. That was supposed <laughs> to be the writers and directors making this make sense. Um but Especially uh, if you're dealing with archetypes like Batman yeah. and Superman, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, we've all gotten all of their information through just cultural osmosis. I'm a huge comic book nerd, but like I, I'm fully aware of like how much other people kind of have just kind of taken it in over the decades. You know, it's mm -hmm. I don't know. I think the average person on the street would probably throw up a, a better broad scale, like funner plot. Batman. <laughs> I mean, if you look at it, it's 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 so clear that what they started with is we need to make Batman fight Superman. That was that was it. And there are ways to make that happen, but it's not easy and it's difficult to make that compelling if this is also the movie in which you are introducing Batman. <laughs> And yeah. basically the movie in which you're introducing proper Superman since the last one was an origin movie. And going straight from that to we're doing Batman v Superman and the death of Superman is like, 
All right, I get why. I get why you're doing this. You are five years late to the superhero game, and you haven't had anything re like resembling the success of your biggest rival. I get why you're speed running it. But, and like all the good DC movies were the, the, the weird standalone kind of side movies. You know, Aquaman, Shazam, those were like the first times that DC was like, oh, that's actually just a winner. That's just fun Shazam? to watch. Super good. Yeah. No one watched it, but Shazam is really good. Shazam is really good. Shazam is, is it slaps. It's fun. It's, it's cute and sweet. And it has a very uplifting, like, theme. Uh, Aquaman is just a fun little Indiana Jones style adventure where they also go underwater sometimes and that's all I needed from it. Uh, Blue, you're, you're giving me a little dubious expression. Yeah, but, uh, it's fine. I'm <laughs> just thinking fine. of the uh, the permission to come aboard and then like everyone <laughs> in the theater is like... Permission Ooh. granted, sailor. Um, <laughs> but like it's... That's the thing. Like when they slowed down, when it stopped being so clearly obligation things got good uh but batman v superman was kind of like the the platonic ideal of of the trouble that happens when you can feel the hand of the author mashing the action figures together and then they get a little token slap fighting in and then it's like oh hold on we have the barest possible reason to not be fighting each other anymore so let's stop and go fight this other thing instead yeah. people so. talk about that scene as if the most damning part of it is their moms both being named martha but what read to how you presented it is actually the worst part of that scene is when Clark says, Bruce, listen to, or Batman, listen to me. And <laughs> no, he's punches calling him Bruce away the whole time. <laughs> instead of like, God, yeah, that, that's the worst part because that so is funny. like the characters, if they were not truly morons, would have like, they were right there. They, they could kiss. They were so close. <laughs> and then they just punch each other instead. Yeah, but that's I, the thing. Like, yeah. Bruce keeps being like, oh, I have to defeat you. And, like, he keeps interrupting Superman. And that's like Superman is shrugging off everything that's getting thrown at him. He could just say it. And, like, you can, if you watch this, you can just watch the scene. You don't need to take my word for it. Just watch yeah. the scene and be like, if I were Superman and I was desperately afraid for the life of my mother, what would I be doing? You're like, I, I probably wouldn't walk up to Bruce and say, you need to listen to me. And then gently tap him 40 <laughs> feet away through a wall. I feel like that wouldn't be the most productive use of my time, but that's fine. Like not, that's, not that's the, the thing. Like yeah. half the fun of that video was kind of, I always sort of come into tropes with like a soft touch approach. Like, is this actually bad or is it just poorly used and easy to dunk on? And in this specific case, it's like, well, if it's called idiot plots. People are gonna <laughs> dunk, but like, you know, like, where is this actually a problem? And the thing with like Batman v Superman, the reason why it was so frustrating is like, I expect better from both of these characters. Like, I don't expect Batman to be doing any of this. And I don't expect Superman to be this dumb and uncommunicative. So that's why this feels weird. Yeah. But like, you know, any given Shakespeare play, it's like the tragedy is that these characters would do that. That's why this is a tragedy. It just kind of looped back to, you know, the, the video I did a couple of years ago about tragedies, which is like, half of the point of this is that it didn't have to happen. The, the reason why it's sad is that it did anyway. And when you do a story where it's like, there was no other way, sometimes that stops feeling tragic and starts feeling like, well, that's just some bullshit. You, you, you just, <laughs> you put the characters into a saw trap and then we're like, oh, it's so sad. Oh, who could have prevented this? Whoops. <laughs> okay, anyway. Yeah, uh, I, I, I I'd take your point. I think, you know, Ken's to what you were saying, like people have very strong ideas of how Batman and Superman are supposed to act. And both of them are known for being very smart. Batman is the world's greatest detective. Superman is an incredibly talented journalist. They should not be this dumb. Shakespeare characters, that makes sense. And that works in reds. Like I, my favorite part of that video was you explaining almost every Shakespeare play is an idiot plot. For the comedy, that's the jokes. For the tragedy, that's why there's a body count. Mm -hmm, and... Mm -hmm. 
that is just good storytelling because it fits within the context of the story that the bard was trying to tell, so it works. It doesn't feel gratuitous unless you're reading it very uncharitably, but if you're actually invested in the story, it will reward that with the story making more sense. Yeah. Whereas if you're invested in Batman v Superman, the story will make less sense than if you watch it ironically. <laughs> it's a little bit frustrating to... Uh, there's a certain, like, school of criticism where it's kind of like the, the critic is like, I would win this story. I could do this. <laughs> I would, I'd be the best at Macbeth. I'd be so good at it. Or, or I mean, it's, it's the old, like, well, if I had the death note, <laughs> I'd never get caught, yeah. you know, shit like that. And it's like, it's, it's a fun thought experiment, but it's not a school of criticism. It's just a fun thing to do. It's, it's fanfic. Uh, and when you're, when you're approaching a story like, well, if I was in Romeo and Juliet, I'd just get the girl. It's like, yeah, maybe, but then it wouldn't be Romeo and Juliet. It, it would be, you know. die. Yeah, <laughs> get good, scrub. Yeah. Um, RIP to those other guys, but I'm different. <laughs> yeah, and like, I mean, you know, again, this, this is a lot of ground that I covered in the tragedy video. I didn't want to retread it, but like the old, the old trick of like, you put Hamlet in Othello and Othello in Hamlet and both plays get solved, you know? They, yeah. they both handle it perfectly. Othello... <laughs> would have a great time killing Claudius and uh, <laughs> and Hamlet and Iago would have a great time scheming at each other while both being played by Kenneth Branagh. It would be great. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying, like, that's, that's the point a lot of the time. The point of the tragedy is that it was senseless. And when the story can pull that off, that's good. But when the story tries and fails to justify it, it ends up, like, falling on its face. Yeah. So... Anyway, I had a lot of fun with it. Uh, comments seem to have a lot of fun with it, too, which is is good. Uh, I yeah. think people weren't expecting me to be like, here's why. <coughs> Shakespeare. Because, like, it would have been so easy to be like, oh, let's 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 knock some low-hanging fruit into its place. And I was like, ha, joke's on you. I'm defending this in two out of three cases. Yeah. A, a, a weaker criticism of the trope would have been like, Ding, and I'll just leave it at that because that, that says everything I need to say. Ooh, um. uh, but yes, uh, so that was my video. Uh, you also had a very fun one. Uh, that, uh, yeah, no, no spice in this one, really. Um, it's just, just a very it simple. Value. Yeah, it was a hijinks video. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I had set out with a concept for a few funny stories of people dying in ancient Rome, and I was workshopping it and researching it and thinking, you know, I got a lot about the Gracchi. I could probably just make this whole video about them. And then the the, the purpose of the video metamorphosed into uh, Rome's first assassination. Oops. Uh, <laughs> and what exactly was happening here? Some people said that technically Remus was the first assassination. Was Remus a real historical that... figure? I feel like that's, he's in, he's in the realm yeah, of... Yes, because but... no, he wasn't. Yeah, so yeah. like that doesn't really count. Like in Roman, you know, <laughs> legends, yes, but... Uh, in in history, you know, attested, um, the first one would be the Gracchi brothers. Um, and I was researching it and I was thinking, I, I can actually just talk a lot about this because this is actually really cool. I mean, obviously, like 3,000, like 300 people died, um, 300 the first time, 3,000 the second time. Um, so it's like, wow, oh boy. But then the, the political underpinnings of what was happening were actually <laughs> like intricately fascinating. Yeah, um, it was for pretty reasons that uh, that when you look at it in the context of Roman history, it's like, oh, this is a really like neat examination of of how the norms around the Republic were starting to be broken down and what caused things to go wrong. And here's how you can see like the gears starting to spin into motion that will lead to things like Marius and Sulla having the first large scale civil war. Um, mass slave revolts and revolts of, of non-citizen subjects of, of Rome in Italy, 
uh, in the social war. And like all of the the storm before Caesar shows up, there's a book called The Storm Before the Storm that's very good. Um, And like all of these things start with this business with the Gracchi brothers where they're they are thinking like I'm defending the Republic. The Senate class is saying like I'm defending the Republic against you, and they're so forcefully against each other. And each of them do things that are like like some scheming here, some scheming there, and then the senators just decide to start killing. So it's like wow, okay, you have escalated this beyond the bounds of the game that we were previously playing. <laughs> it's interesting to me. Like it's almost like you can make an argument that the the greatest tool that Greece created and then Rome kind of inherited uh the the athenian legal system sort of ended up becoming the downfall in the sense that once you establish that precedent is the rule set that you follow precedent becomes the thing that can be weaponized against you because of course like a lot of your points in the last few videos about rome have been like this is the first time this shit happened and then they just kept doing it this is the first time the emperor's honor guard just straight up killed him and replaced him and then after that they couldn't stop doing it uh and it wasn't that like nobody in rome had thought of it before it's just like once you set a precedent then people can follow it and be like i'm just you know i'm just doing what they did (laughs) whatever it's fine yeah uh and it's it's i don't know i think that would be a fun narrative framing of like you know you start with the athenian legal system orestes you know the 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 oristia the play in which they're like this is how things are going to work from now on rome taking it and, and building it into this biggest like massive sprawling empire but then sort of being just once you once you establish that any rule somebody sets down can be done by anybody, anybody who's a real Roman, of course, uh, yeah. then suddenly... And, of course, like, half this thing is with the Gracchi brothers was, like, they were trying to set precedents that nobody liked. Like, hey, what if we upgraded these, like, mid-citizens to proper citizens and the non-citizens to mid-citizens? And everyone was like, oh, God, the votes! Kill them! So, yeah. I don't know. It's it's interesting. And, I, I mean, I... Am I allowed to say it? When I read this script, I was like, hmm, stuff in here is uncomfortably familiar to me, an American in 2022. <laughs> yeah, I I was thinking, like, because when I wrote the line, like, yeah, so the senators tried to show up to stop the vote counting where they were anticipating Tiberius Gracchus would be reinstated for a second term as tribune. And all they intended to do was show up and stop the assembly from counting the votes so they could, like, stage a new election or whatever. And they ended up killing the guy. I was thinking, do I do something? Like, do I? No, I'm just going to leave that. I'm just going to let that speak for itself. And whatever associations the audience wants to make is what they have brought to the table. Because I don't need to make that point. The point makes itself. That's true, yeah. And And that's an element of of my my historical storytelling that I feel like I've gotten a lot better at is because, like, five years ago, I would have hammered that into the dirt. But now I'm just like, oh, wow, isn't that crazy? Okay, well, moving on. Anyway, while you ruminate on the horrifying implications of that, I'm going to talk about the body count they racked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, like, obviously, you know, the tone of it was, it's kind of light, kind of funny. As I was reading through it, I got to the part where it's like, yeah, and then they stormed in to stop the vote. And I was like, ha and then And then they started killing people. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. got to get through the rest of the script. Um, it's just, it's all fun and games until, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, we don't need yeah. to. It, but I thought that was really interesting. Like the because you're right. The, the approach you took, I think, was ideal because it's like I'm just I'm just laying out what happened. And, uh, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know, at a certain point, too, I would hope slash imagine that, uh, you know, your audience base uh, would probably be able to pick up on. Oh, on for sure. Impact. But that's the I good thing about it. I'm surprised that that's not the case to be yeah. honest. Right, but the, the fun thing about that that I've observed is like, if you 
if you put point A and point B out and then let the audience connect them, they'll remember it much more strongly than if you put it out and then drew the connection. It was like, look at that. That's nuts. Because then they'll remember, oh, this person was really trying to make a point. Um, Totally. It's, it's, yeah. it's just it's it's interesting. You know, this it, is the kind of stuff that we've we've learned over the years of a writing scripts and b seeing what comment sections say about those scripts. <laughs> but, but also the, the the thing with with doing historical narratives like that is the Grocky Brothers is not January sixth, twenty twenty one. It's not. Sure. There oh, are several right. similarities <laughs> in yeah. intent and tone and background kind of like you know what was what was in the political air at the time but they're not the same story no and And, uh, there are no two moments in history that will be exact parallels but what we can learn from the comparisons and the differences are more useful than pretending like this is history exactly repeating itself um, which is why I think I, I feel extra confident in my decision to just let them play out on their own because there are several points at which you know, the audience would be able to say like, oh, like Tiberius was like straight up, like getting close to breaking some laws. Like Gaius was doing some like real big shit that could have completely upended the the system of the, the Republic because, okay, sure. Say you make, you know, half the people in Italy into citizens. How, how do you hold elections anymore? Do you pull every single person into Rome? The Republic didn't have the mechanisms to sustain that. And the senators are like, oh, wait, fuck, this is going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. But of course that is a, Thing that's very specific to Rome. So the, the considerations of how that works don't apply to the modern, you know, interpretation of like, oh, you know, January 6th kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's extra important to surface all of these comparisons and the differences as well so that we can get a more complete picture of what was actually happening rather than just flattening it into it's January 6th, like, 480 BC kind of thing. I was right, going to say, I feel like to live with those parallels is it, it doesn't serve anyone any good from a historical context, and especially for in retrospect, you know, like that sort of it, it's just uh, you know kind of kind of in the same vein of like blaming culture for uh, or, or like wokeness for all the evils of America <laughs> these days. Like it's not not yeah. really the case as, as culture is in a lot of ways downstream from. Uh, you know, the circumstances of a lot of people's realities, you know? So it's, yeah. ah, yeah. There, there, are, there are themes and parallels that, like, people should be cognizant of throughout all of, like, human history because at our baselines, we biologically have a set of, like, needs that we have not been able to get over, you yeah. know? So those, at the very least, inform some base level of actions that are not applicable across the board for history, considering changing circumstances all the time, but are ever present, you know, they're still there. So I don't know what that ultimately says, but it's a thing. (laughs) What I was going to say is that uh, I also think that a lot of times when people are sort of analyzing history, the easy thing is to be like, oh, this is like that thing that happened. And then just kind of leave it at that. And, uh, you know, as a little bit of a gotcha, like, oh, this is like that thing. You know, just like that yeah. thing that happened. That thing says a lot about society. Yeah, it really makes you think, doesn't it? Society. But like, the thing is, the interesting part of that is when you sort of take it, and then you're like, yeah, there's parallels. There's a lot of parallels, but what are they? Like, you know, saying, oh, X is like Y. That's fun. It's it's a cute little glib. It's like it's good for a punchline or a joke or a reference. But if you actually want to understand what that means, you have to unpack what parts of it are like what and what parts are different. Because there are a lot of things that are like other things. There are a lot of patterns that have played out the same way over and over again. But 
frequently things are different and <laughs> finding what those what those similarities and what those differences are and what they mean is fundamental to I think a deeper understanding and I think a lot of the 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 difficulty is that it, it stops at the punchline like oh this is yeah. just like that other thing yeah. and then it ends yeah. but um anyway uh it was very very fun little video with uh, <laughs> with a little bit of a stare at the wall moment afterwards <laughs> yeah the last thing I'll say is I I, I want to come for every single person who left a comment like oh, blue it's winter no Winter starts on December 21st. That's what the fucking solstice is for. It's December. Sure, it's cold outside. It is still fall until the solstice, you guys. Okay, plugs. Uh, people really saying the fall of Rome is too short. Come on, guys. Uh, yeah. Um, so we have uh, basically one thing uh, to plug. Uh, we have the Monkeys of the Month. We got two new ones that are currently available on the Doom Code Designs website. They'll be linked down below. Um, Ken, can you tell us about these colorways real quick? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, we have got uh, Purple Glitter for November. Um, I want to say uh, the colorway name I chose was Put Off because he's a bit put off by something over to his left. <laughs> and uh, crystal blue for December. Nice, uh, a nice cold, wintry colorway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a limited edition of 35 pieces. And um, yeah, we are basically doing a monkey of the month uh, program thing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we are working on getting future editions at a higher colorway count. Um, uh, probably aiming for the 50 pieces unit, sort of a, sort of a neighborhood from here on out um, every month, uh, kind of in the beginning of the month. But I'm pretty sure both of our organizations have so much on our plates that we uh, <laughs> you know, kind of move around. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, a little loosey-goosey right now, but yeah, we, may, we may hone in on something a bit yeah. more specific in the future. We're, we're aiming for, for early every month, we'll have a new one, but of course, stay uh, tuned to our Instagram uh, and our Twitter as well, uh, where we'll we'll launch those whenever uh, they come up, um, and there will be a new one uh, for you every month. We'll try to find ways to make them like cute and seasonally appropriate wherever mm -hmm. applicable. Um, but yes, that is that on the podcast side of things. Um, this is our last regular episode of the year. We're doing a New Year's Eve uh, podcast special that'll go up um, at New Year's Eve. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we will have our first proper episode of the podcast back in, I believe, the second week of January. So um, stay tuned for the annual OSP New Year's video podcast uh, dropping on the channel as well as all your podcast platforms of choice. And with that, let's head over to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. Red does a little dance every time I do the spiel at the top of the podcast now. Uh, I think it's very funny and cute. Thank you for uh, enjoying this, this read. I'm a little me, just vibing. You'll have to remember to do it for the video podcast. That way the audience yes. can actually oh, see what's so happening Oh, you're so right. Here. Yes, yes. To prove, to prove that it's really happening. Yeah. 
Uh, but this first question comes from Kenyon. Too blue, my friend thinks you have the voice of a man familiar with back pain. I am currently <coughs> experiencing back pain and hoping you have some advice for me. Blue, do you experience back pain frequently? <laughs> what the fuck, dude? <laughs> what the fuck kind of question is that? They want back pain assistance. Do you have any hey, <laughs> Oh, the voice God. of a man. I'm 26. <laughs> uh. Don't hunch when you sit uh, and uh, uh, do do the occasional yoga stretch. Uh, cobra pose is really good. Bridge pose. Um, I mean, I I'm really becoming that person who recommends. You know that you can just like stretch your bones out. Oh. Mm. Be nice. Yeah. Uh, I have chronic knee pain, and sometimes I'll heat up a bag of rice or beans and put it on my knee, and that feels really nice. Um, I don't know if it's applicable here. Also, be careful, because if the beans are too fresh, sometimes you could cook them accidentally in the microwave, and then your whole house will smell like beans for a while. So maybe stick with the rice part instead. Yeah, no, or just get a hot good. water bottle or like one of those little like uh, microwavable heat pads that you can you know tie around yourself or something. Some of know. us have to improvise, Red. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Up in my ivory tower with hot water bottles <laughs> and, and a ten dollar drugstore microwavable heat pad. <laughs> But anyway, I, uh, I, the thing is, like, I, I can't become that person who just recommends yoga. I can't. I refuse. But genuinely, it's like, if it's because in this case. If, if it's because you're like sitting around too much, just like a little ten minute, like you know, floor time stretching, um, it can it can really help. Uh, there are a lot of like little weird stretches that can sort of help get the the weird nerve clusters near the base of your spine, um, especially uh, if you have a specific like pelvis arrangement you can get like what's the word there's like a specific like sciatic nerve i want to say that's like right at the back uh that can sort of get oh, yeah. a little bit pinched but there's a way there's like a i think it's called pigeon pose it's a it's a yoga pose where you sort of uh pop one of your ankles sort of up over the other knee and then pull the knee towards you and it really helps stretch that out so if it's if it's a lower back pain thing there are a lot of really good stretches that just sort of work long term to ease it. like it won't make it go away overnight but it can help significantly and uh just, just make you feel better overall. Uh, caveat, I don't know if this works for everybody. <laughs> and if you have like a connective tissue thing, perhaps don't uh, get too crazy with the yoga. <laughs> yeah, um, I typically do not suffer from back pain. <laughs> However, the reason I feel personally victimized by this question is that within the context of me having just moved, I did hurt several parts of my body trying to lift heavy uh -oh. things. Because the difficulty of moving is that you have a lot of heavy things you have to lift and not a lot of time in which to do it. And then you, like, you clear out one cabinet full of stuff and then you're like, great, I'm done. And then you open up another one and it's like, wow, I'm in a time loop that will never end. That's so awesome. I, I love that for me so much and forever because this will never end. Um, so moving is the wonderful intersection of unhealthily lifting a great many things because you are fundamentally in a hurry for the entire process and you don't really have the opportunity to get the best form on each lift because everything is shaped weird. So I did acutely hurt several parts of my legs, arms, back and shoulders in the course of the last like few weeks. Which is why I feel so attacked by this question, as if they were able to sense a change in my voice recently and find this about me. Better suck up on beans, my friend. But typically, yeah, well, not no. Too fresh. My Dry strategy is just sleep it off and try not to like 
further injure myself by doing bullshit. I feel bullshit. like we're hating on the beanbag strategy here, but it has been monumentally successful for me and my chronic pain issues. It's just the one time that I made my whole apartment smell like beans, and if you live alone, that's your cross to bear, you know? Like, you in, light a candle no, or something. Indigo's just in the pocket of big beans. I'm just imagining, Chill. like, it's like the inverse of like those ice baths that athletes do, just like a bean bath. Just oh, <laughs> with every joint at once. Oh god, that's the most cursed thing. There's probably some like dumbass <laughs> spa on an island somewhere that has that for like a hundred thousand dollars. I imagine in that case the beans would have to be cooked. Like that feels like it needs to be like a baked bean kind of texture if you're submerging mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. I'm talking Whoa. about uncooked like solid beans. No, I'm also you know? talking about uncooked solid beans. Like oh, like I a see. like a like a like a hot gravel bath, but without the ah. sharp corners. <laughs> I don't know if that's a thing. That actually might be nice. That's see, like, no rocks see? on you. That does sound pretty good. Yeah. I'm like, if compared to laying in a pool of hot, jagged rocks or hot, <laughs> rounded beans, I'm going with the beans. <laughs> Tweet like at us. A, would you go with beans or rocks? If you it's like what they do with uh, when you're pre-baking a pie crust, you know, to keep the bottom oh, yeah, from puffing up, you fill it with beans. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's the same principle, but with, you know, joint pain. Uh, we got more questions to get to. <laughs> <laughs> it gets too off the rail. Devastating. Uh, this question comes from Im, I think. To all, how many tabs do you usually have open on your computer? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the sounds of people who have a lot of tabs open on their computer. For, for me, it depends on if it's a research day, because if it's a research day, it goes up to like like a dozen at least. But for the most part, I've got anywhere between like three and five. I've got my Facebook Messenger. I've got my Google Keep Note where I have like my daily to-do list and stuff. And then I've got whatever YouTube thing I'm listening to for background noise, like Mario Kart, like Epic and like energetic music, two hour mix, Mario (laughs) Galaxy, like relaxing music to study to whatever. Um, And then like any two or three other tabs for whatever the fuck else I'm doing work-wise. But if it's a research day like this morning was, um, like easily, easily 12, at least. <laughs> yeah, I just counted and it is 29 on oh uh, the, the main on the main Google Chrome uh, browser that I'm using. And uh, I think I've got two others open, both of which have uh, maybe 12-ish windows. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's usually in the vicinity of 12, a little bit more on my main one. Uh, obviously one of those like messenger, uh, a few analytics pages for various different things. Um, you know, comic dashboard, stuff like that. Uh, and then just a bunch of YouTube videos that I have queued up that I haven't watched through. Uh, and then I don't have the heart to close the tab. Uh, and then I have a bunch of other windows that are open, but minimized that are like individual things that I sort of want to keep track of, uh, but don't necessarily need 24 seven. But if I bookmark them, they'll just get lost in the crush. So, uh, and then I have different browsers with different sets of tabs open uh that i have for other needs uh but uh but the main window i normally use is currently sitting at 14. um i have shockingly few tabs open in any given moment but a lot of that is because the tabs that i do have open are often running recording software and Mm. other tabs could mess with that but Mm. i do have two fully independent computers running constantly and at least one of them usually has minimum of five tabs open so it is sort of just a toss-up of is it more than that five 
or is it not? Um, currently, I have three open, which feels low for me today. But, Y'all you know. got any more of that RAM? <laughs> <laughs> when Chrome gets too uppity, I just quit it. <laughs> leave it down or leave it dark for a few hours so it learns its lesson. <laughs> I, everyone it made fun of me for for doing Firefox, but it's it's nice. Fine. It doesn't destroy my computer. I can actually run other programs while I have my browser open. <laughs> I've got like a one or two additional program limit depending on what I'm doing on, a, on the other programs. Yeah. I just, I, I've, I've learned my lesson a little too well, you know? Chrome only causes trouble for me when I have like an itch.io game running in the background. Mm. Uh, that can cause the fan to spin up, but otherwise I have no problem doubling up with Final Cut and Clip Studio and, you know, other stuff. So it really depends on the build of your computer, but uh, we could. <laughs> We could get into the weeds on that, so we're going to move on to another question. Uh, but the short answer is lots of tabs, as is the way of the world these days. Um, this question comes from Queek the Undead. To both, what are your comfort films? The ones you go to to watch that never fail to cheer you up, or at the very least, feel better when you're going through a rough patch. Hmm. So what's like a comforting film you like to watch if you've had a bad day? Huh. That's a fun one. Uh, a I'm not question. sure either of us have comfort films, but I do have films I keep coming back to because I like them. Sure. Um, yeah, go for it. Well, I'll, I mean, I'll try to think of mine because I don't. Um, yeah, you go first. I'll, I'll think. It's well, I mean, for a while, for me, it was Pacific Rim. Uh, just Ooh. good, clean, punchy fun. Uh, but I haven't rewatched that in a while, so I'm not sure it qualifies anymore. It's honestly now probably just uh, the first two Kung Fu Panda movies. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. uh, nice. Just, Ooh, just rock solid before it gets a little weird in the third one. Not bad, still, just not great. Uh, and it, it's one of those cases where like the first one's good, second one's great, uh, and they're just they're fun and and sweet and shockingly well voice acted. Considering it, it's like, like nowadays everyone's talking about how bad celebrity stunt casting is, cause it is. But it's like this is a movie where like Angelina Jolie plays one of the leads and she does a damn good job. <laughs> Um, and like everybody else is also an acclaimed screen actor. Anyway, I'm I'm rambling because those movies are so good and I like them so much. That was the really funny part about Marvel's What If is a lot of the reviews were like a lot of the cast is reprising their roles. A lot of them are very bad voice actors. <laughs> like some people killed it. Oh, some yeah. people absolutely nailed it in that show. And it's like um, you can tell a couple of the cast here like really like does a lot of physical acting. So right. when they just try to talk, doesn't work as great as mm -hmm. some of their peers, which is, I mean, still all these people are amazing actors, but like, it is very funny, like how some of those talents do or don't transfer. This is not the point of the question. It's a completely I don't really have comfort films because I don't tend to rewatch a bunch of stuff. I rarely have like the attention span to sit down for a whole ass movie. Um, I tend to have like comfort YouTube videos, like watching back through Point Crow never fails. Mm. Um, some of the old like Funhouse stuff is, this is a new Funhouse stuff too is really great. Um, that stuff always always gets me good. But I I'm much more of like a comfort games kind of person. Like mm. there's some games that I've I've played a while ago. And I'm like you know what I know exactly how this is gonna go. Let's just go through this and then I can just kind of vibe. I can stay in the world exactly as long as I want to, and then I'm done as soon as I decide that I'm done, as opposed to a film where it's like, oh, well, I'm kind of stuck here now, aren't I? Mm. <laughs> but for, for me, Comfort Games is uh, a very nice uh, way to go about. Um, so that's uh, a classic for me. Old yeah. Assassin's Creed's um, Journey Abzu. Astro's Playroom is a new classic for me. The game that comes bundled in with a PS5. <laughs> that's just a fun, charming, lovely little game. 
and early in the year, I'm like, you know what I need? I need to go back and play some Astros Playroom. That shit was great. <laughs> oh, boy. What about you guys? Um, I would say probably the biggest one for me these days is uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It's oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so ding-dong good. Um, and it just... It, it is the perfect mix of both a sitcom and a super long-running TV show, the likes of which it feels like we're never, ever going to get these days for anything live action. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, oh, God, it's, it's perfect. And it has this wonderful, <laughs> these wonderful 90s cameras that make everything look like it, it's just low definition, which is perfect for 90s Trek because you don't need a higher definition. And it's all just like weird, theoretical, kind of dark, like stage plays and morality explorations. Oh my God, love it. Deep Space Nine, it it is the peak of Star Trek. If anyone, if anyone out there is trying to get into Trek, um, so, so worth it. Ooh, that's a hot take. I think TNG tends to be the one that it gets described as like peak Trek, but. Yeah, very true. You know, I, I tend to I tend to think of it as this. Um, I think TNG is like archetypal Trek, you know, especially oh. for that era, but is especially for what people think Star Trek should be. But as far as like stories go, as far as like the explorations of like trauma and tragedy on an intergalactic scale goes, DS9 hands down because being stationary at a space station means that they really can dig into like theoretical politics, which I know is not everyone's cup of tea, but God, it's when it works, it works. And it is just, it is so moving to, to a degree that like TNG just kind of can't get to. Yeah. TNG, it's a little more weird shit of the week. Uh, so that definitely makes sense. Yeah. Uh, You got something? I watch a lot of movies. Uh, <laughs> like Do Blue, you? I tend not that. to occasionally. Uh, like Blue, I tend not to rewatch too much just because of the sheer quantity of media that I have to consume on a weekly basis in order to maintain this career. Um, and usually it's chosen for me by other people. But if I've had a particularly bad day or I just need like some good mindless background music or background noise, um, I mean, the Ghibli movies are always very comforting, but honestly, I usually go for like a Fast and the Furious or like a Bloodshot. Some like good Vin Diesel, mindless action, like fun stunts. I don't have to pay attention because I know where it's going. It's that's good. Or like Mission Impossible kind of falls in that category for me too sometimes where it's like, I've seen these a thousand times. I know exactly where this is going. Um, I can turn my brain off. I don't have to think too deeply on any one point. And I know it's not going to emotionally get me necessarily. Um, Perfect. Uh, but yeah, it's it's either Ghibli or the Fast and the Furious like ninety percent of the time. Oh, Ghibli is a good one. I I just I don't tend to rewatch them because I like them too much. Uh, mm-hmm. It's yeah, like I, I don't want them to lose their magic. Yeah. I have um, to be in a really specific mood for like it to go Ghibli because I feel like it's they're so cozy and com- like they are so much like a chicken soup in a movie mm-hmm. that I need to be in a chicken soup kind of mood, and I'm not always looking for that when I'm looking for like a, a comfort watch necessarily. Oh yeah. Um, this is not to say that these are my favorite movies of all time, although I think they are. Uh, both categories are good, uh, particularly Bloodshot. People should watch it. I think it got a bad rap. But uh, I think it's a comfort movie. That's yeah. where, I'm, <laughs> where I'm going. I like it. Oh, yeah. 
We got more questions coming at you. This one comes from Wither Void. To all, what would your royal seal or signet ring look like? So design for yourself an emblem that you will stamp into documents and wax uh, seals and this such. This is like the flag design thing all over again. Yeah. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think mine still uh, has to be hedgehog with knife, right? Like, or knife porcupine hedgehog. or something. Knife hedgehog. Doesn't hedgehog. have a rocket launcher. Oh, you're right. Yeah. You know what? I think it was porcupine <laughs> with rocket launcher, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe the knife hedgehog is like for my royal vizier. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's like a whole like cabal of like hedgehogs with different weapons that denote rank (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) and increasingly elaborate hats as well yeah that's a classic (laughs) Um, hmm. well uh, I I, I I do have my own company logo I guess Uh, it's just meant to be an abstract mushroom cloud it's uh, a little little abstract but you know I want to Keep it a little family friendly, so yeah. <laughs> can't be can't be too dour and and uh, grim, despite uh. my company name. <laughs> <laughs> Your royal signet ring is actually just a heat map of all the nuclear tests from 1943 to 1999. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, useful uh. information to have post post apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, don't go here. Mojave Desert? No, you don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, let's see. Uh, for me, uh, I, I don't want to do something like terribly, terribly obvious because I would probably like be annoyed at myself for being too basic. Oh, we but, all know there's going to be a sword in here somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd probably go for something like kind of like like leafy ivy floral plus geometric because like the little little traily bits on the venice flag i always like those little patterns they just kind of flow and do like leafy hoop kind of stuff um it would probably be some kind of like swirly ivy vine deal like that that was also basically the aesthetic for cyan in my wedding yeah it was like hoops and ivy um that was what the centerpieces were so probably something in that vein and just have some like swords engraved with like that kind of pattern would be like what all the guards and stuff carry. I don't know. I'm thinking about this in the wrong direction. <laughs> there um, it is. But as far as as far as like a single seal, some like kind of abstract, like leafy shape. Perfect. Yeah, I think maybe like because you know how you can get a sound print of a word or something. Yeah, and it makes a waveform, or like more of a 3D variant of it on across a plane. Uh, just that. It's just my name, but sound printed to be a signet ring. <laughs> That's actually very cool. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it rocks. I'm it right. does. Um, all right. This next question comes from Ilu Thingle. Uh, for both in the spirit of festivities, are there any celebrations you do not celebrate that you would want to experience? So are there holidays that maybe like aren't part of your culture that you think are really cool you'd like to experience at some point in your life or that you just don't celebrate for whatever reason? Uh... <laughs> Huh. Is this basically asking us which holiday would we want to appropriate if we had carte blanche? <laughs> I let's, let's assume that we it's are like approaching this. I do want eight days of presents. Been... Thank you. That's hey, hey. <laughs> we've been uh, invited and are not appropriating, but appreciating through research and experience with people who actually celebrate it. But if there's a holiday that maybe you've read about, it sounded neat that you'd want to experience once. What that might be. I got one. Uh, Chinese New Year, so yes. that we all have like three weeks off. 
That would be really I studied abroad in Shanghai and our term started right after Chinese New Year had ended because that was the major holiday that designated the end of the break. But that means that when I got there, it had just ended. So we just missed all of the festivities and like all of the cool stuff going on. I've, I've always been really disappointed about that because I think it's got to be like one of the coolest things to experience. Uh, well, hopefully next time if you can yeah. get back out there. Uh, the ancient Egyptian intercalary five days on the year where it was the birthdays <laughs> of major gods and I don't think work was allowed to be done because it was considered unlucky. Uh, yeah. Yeah, just give intercalary me... Intercalary uh, days are so fun. Yeah, they, they slap and uh, I'm not appropriating anybody's living culture doing it. So <laughs> <laughs> I just get five days off and then we get to argue about leap days. It was kind of in the same vein it would be really fun to have like a good like saturnalia or a yule mm. that would be super super cool it's just like we're outside mm. in in the winter like burning some trees drinking mead having fun back. uh or it's saturnalia <laughs> and everyone does role reversal and just gets absolutely shattered drunk in the streets <laughs> that would be pretty cool yeah i think we got some pretty good ones here yeah, some solid yeah. solid across the board um this question comes from uh, Lumiere. What do you do when life gives you lemons? What's Cave Johnson's whole rant? I'll, I'll Come on, brain. burn your house down with <laughs> yeah. the lemons. Yeah. <laughs> I want your damn lemons. What am I supposed to do with these? Um, I generally make lemon bars. Serious answer. It's more fun. Yeah. Tastier. Um, I, don't, I don't cook. <laughs> not gonna cook. So, Just kind of pile the lemons somewhere and leave uh, them. Cocktails, I guess. I mean, I, I, I'm not a big a lemon tower. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's good to have some garnishes around. Yeah. Lemon yeah. pyramid. Got a good like lemon chicken recipe kicking around, uh, but mostly yeah. when life gives me lemons, I like to just wallow for a little bit. <laughs> just wallow in the lemons. Yeah, get out of the bean bath and into the lemon bath. Get out! Of, I get out of my bean bath that I have every night, as we all know now, is as canon as of this podcast. The it's hot for the bean joints. Bath. And then I, I go to my kitchen and I pick up all the lemons that were delivered to me by life that day, uh, and I just fill the bath with the, with the whole lemons. I don't squeeze them or anything because that would get very painful. Yeah, uh, and then I sit yeah, in the pile find of lemons all your and paper think about my are. lemon chicken recipe. <laughs> <laughs> well, life gives you lemon. Every day. I, um, just like zest them and then it smells really nice. That's a oh, good one. Would Ooh, I use yeah. it in anything? How could you? I mean, you can use it, but like the first and foremost thing is to get like the sensory experience of, of good lemon zest smell. It's like whenever Sign and I are cooking anything that involves oregano, I'll just like unscrew the top of our little like little <laughs> jar of oregano and I'll just like huff it for a second. I'm like, yeah, no, that is good. Okay, we, we can cook with this. It's That's good. Cool. I had to inspect it first. It's quality. Let's I don't know. We can't just, oh, no, hold on. We had to linger on the bean bath for so long. We're not breezing past smelling the oregano container. Oregano does smell nice. I, as a Greek, have the legal and gastronomical authority to designate good oregano. And at every point, I will take the opportunity to assess and make that determination. <laughs> and as an Italian, I think I have the authority to say, why are you smelling all your oregano so much? <laughs> hey. It's good. <laughs> it smells nice. It's one of the best smelling things. Just gonna be I'm like, oh, I'll just dump this in the pot instead of having the beautiful sensory experience of smelling it first. <laughs> Why is the food gotta have all the fun? 
<laughs> it's generally a good idea to smell it anyway, just to make sure it's still good and like hasn't. Yeah, I have to make sure flavor. it's not like poison or some shit. That, oh, sure, that's <laughs> what I was going for. <laughs> I was going for them devious oregano goblins that was uh, cutting the good stuff with inferior products, and not at all that sometimes when a dried spice is old, it kind of stops tasting like anything. <laughs> logical extreme yeah yeah absolutely yeah uh i wasn't sure if this was gonna be our last question or not so it is actually going to be the last one uh clearly we have had some time to discuss uh oregano um in my mind oregano is the spice that we had to use in student films a lot for a different product that maybe (laughs) listeners can guess as an imitation well because if you mix with some like glue it clumps up it looks more did you really not have any basil on hand hey no never I mean, I guess if you don't have basil, uh, you can substitute marijuana, but I, oregano is easier to. Wow. Good work, everybody. Yeah. Uh, but that's <laughs> roaring to a stop. That's the end of the podcast. Red, are you ready to take us home? We really circled the drain on that punchline for a hot minute there. <laughs> Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, as always, we'll be back in... No, we'll be back in the vicinity of New Year's Eve for a special episode. And then mm-hmm. after that, we'll be back to our regular podcast schedule, like mid-January, something like Second that? Second week of January. Yeah. We'll Second week of January. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, and of course, we will be back on Friday with a video which i think is one of mine yeah yep. yeah yeah oh i remember yeah. this one it's, that's a fun one yeah it's, it's a, a fun uh, one it's a detail that i tried <laughs> it sure is uh so stay tuned for that have fun with that um check out the uh monkeys of the month uh i believe when i was first shown what they looked like uh my immediate feedback was that the purple one looked extremely chewable so uh don't actually do that but do revel in how chewable it looks uh <laughs> and uh thanks so much to our special guest kent from Doomco Designs for uh, guesting with us on this podcast. It was great having you. Uh, always fun to chat. Um, yeah, real quick. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Y'all are yeah, people... so great, and I, I I can't say it enough. I truly love your guys' work. Like oh, I, I've been a Thank fan you. for years, and it's just, this is awesome. You guys you. are so awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, where can people find your socials? I mean, we'll have them linked, but just so that we, oh, we get sure. the, the auditory confirmation. <laughs> <laughs> most definitely. Uh, my Instagram, where I, I guess, do most of my stuff, um, is just at Designs. Um, feel free to follow me for uh, independent product and toy design and a bunch of crazy stuff that uh, I do with my life. Fantastic. Uh, and, of course, your shop is just at doomcodesigns.com. Oh, so check that out. Uh, and I guess until next time, I've been Red. I've been Blue. And thanks so much again, Kent, for joining us. And this has been an Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. As mentioned in the episode, we are taking some time off for the holiday season. There will be a New Year's bonus episode posted on the regular podcast feeds and, of course, on the YouTube channel in video form. Uh, And regular episodes will resume on January 11th. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened to the podcast this year. It really means the world to us. uh, And getting all of your questions and comments and tweets and things have been just delightful. So I hope you continue to enjoy the podcast in the coming year and that all of your holidays and New Year's are uh, merry and bright. And thank you again to Kent from Duco Designs for coming on as a guest. All links to his socials and store can be found in the show notes below. 
If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. And if you've got a question for the podcast, as always, you can drop that in Ask OS Pod on Discord for a chance to be featured in a future episode. I will be checking these over the break. Do not fear. Uh, all questions submitted will get added to the appropriate uh, potential podcast question pool. If you missed us during the break, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube for more great content. We'll catch you next year.